and, uh, and let it grow. So Galatians 5.25 is this. Paul writes, If we live by the Spirit, let us also keep in step with the Spirit. One more time, if we live by the Spirit, let us also keep in step with the Spirit. Let's pray. God, you are awesome. Totally incomprehensible awesome. Thank you, Lord, for the abilities that you give us to breathe every day. Thank you, Lord, for the ability to walk to people. Thank you, Lord, for the ability to speak to people. Thank you, Lord, for the ability to come in your house this morning and open your word and study your word and to see how we can continue to grow and learn and most importantly, grow closer to you. It's in your son's name that I pray. Amen. Amen. Please be seated. So, um, on Wednesday nights, we just finished up a, a four-week Bible study called The Real Deal. And it was uh, a, a good study. Thanks for those that came out, for sure. And we were talking about the principles of building the church and what the church was founded upon and the things that we drifted away from and what we need to do to make sure we get back um, to those. So, today is going to be a summary for those that uh, have been to the Bible study, but it's just such a lot of good information in it that this is what I felt that I wanted uh, to share with you uh, this morning. So um, I was only partly joking uh, about turning to the church as one foundation, but the very first line of that song says the church's foundation is Jesus Christ our Lord, right? That is the um, verse there. And uh, we hear verses all the time where we talk about the wise man that built his house upon the rock. I didn't damage that. See, I put that tissue there so it didn't damage anything. I looked at Mary. I looked at Mary. Sorry. All right. And then you have the wise man, not the wise man, but the foolish man that built his house upon the... It's the closest I had for a sand bucket. I wasn't going to pour sand up here. Okay? Um, but don't worry, I won't leave the Paw Patrol up here and if any other kid wants it. Daniel's like, I want my bucket back, Dad. I'm like, it's been in the basement for a year and a half, son. You haven't touched it. Right? Right? But that's our sand bucket. Right? But when we build, uh, just like our lives, right? when we build our house upon the rock, Jesus Christ, we have a place to stand. Right? But if we build our house on the sand, we all know what happens. What happens to it? It washes away. Right? It washes away. And with a lot of the stuff, I, I guess Pastor Huff read some of the same material I read this week because the, what stuck out to me in an article I read that one of the um, leading pastors said the Bible's outdated. It doesn't touch people the way that it used to. It's not the Bible's fault, right? It's not the Bible's fault, right? So, so we're definitely on the same wavelength. It goes right in line, right in line with the study that we've been doing the last couple weeks. So I'm very glad to share that with um, you today. So, but it is absolutely essential. It's absolutely essential that our lives and our church, and our church, which is us, everyone here today, whether you've been here for years or the first time, our church here today be built on the solid foundation of Jesus Christ and God's holy word. Right here, right? God's holy word. So we're going to begin with uh, one of the core essentials of a faithful church. So let's turn to um, Ecclesiastes 4.12 first. And we're going to read one or two scripture verses here as we get started. Ecclesiastes 4.12. It says, And though a man might prevail against one who is alone... Two will withstand him. A threefold cord is not quickly broken. Right? We've heard this analogy, and we're going to play off of this analogy for the next few minutes. Right? But a threefold cord is not quickly broken. And then over to Ephesians chapter 4, 4 through 6. Ephesians chapter 4, 4 through 6, it says, There is one body and one spirit. Just as you were called to the one hope that belongs to your God, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all who is over all and through all and in all. All right, all right so did you pick out the three chords there that bring church unity? Church unity is three chords, one Lord, one faith, and one baptism. Those are the non-negotiables of the makeup of a church, right? When we start diving into those things, and this person puts his spin, and this person puts his spin, then we just spin out of control. But as we studied, right, um, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, those are the non-negotiables, that's what we talk about. 
So when we look around at our church, do you see any... I don't think we have any twins in here. Do you see anybody that looks just like you in here? <laughs> right? Do, do you... Right? Nobody is exactly the same. Right? We all have... Um, our favorite things. We all have our favorite foods. We all dress this way. Um, I don't wear flip-flops anymore in church because Pastor Huff always picks on me. But there's different things, right, and different strategies, right? I lost, the first time I lost points off my man car, I said, okay, I can't wear my flip-flops anymore. But, uh, but right, we're, we're all different. But we come together under these three principles um, of one Lord. All right, so we're all different. Think about the very first church. And I'm going to say the very first church this morning uh, is the 12 disciples and Jesus. Let's call that the first church, right? Because that's where it started at, right? Now think about just those 12 guys, right? There's 50, 60 of us in here, right? And we're all different, and we're here to worship one Lord, right? Think about those first 12. Were they all the same? Nope. You had a lot of differences there, right? Um, the two that kind of pulled out in our study, is, of course, is Peter, right? You have Peter, you know, he can never keep his mouth shut at the right time, right? A lot of us relate to him, and we should, right? But there's a lot of lessons to learn from him. Right? Then you have, uh, but he was a fisherman, right? And then you have Matthew, the tax collector, right? So I'm sure they had discrepancies. Their lifestyles, their preferences were all different, right? Matthew wanted at one time to get his hand on the dirty money. Peter liked to get his hands dirty in some fish, right? But they come together as part of the first church, to study under Jesus. I call it studying. It was like fully immersed, right? Three years of fully immersed study with Jesus, right? That first church. But it is very neat, very amazing that so many different people, so many different backgrounds can come together and study or to be united for a cause. People do not have to think and talk exactly the same to be united. We sometimes, and this is very true, so think about these two words. We sometimes try to create unity by saying that we all need to be the same, right? We don't all have to be the same, and actually that's not biblical for us to try to conform each other to be just like each other, okay? So actually, I want you to turn with me just to make sure that you know I'm not pulling your leg. 1 Corinthians 14, 1 Corinthians chapter 12, excuse me, 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 14. 1 Corinthians 12, chapter 14. Here we go. Once you're there, say amen. Are you cheating? Amen. Yeah, there you go. Cheating. All right. All right, it says here, For the body does not consist of one member, but of many. We'll skip down to 18. But as it is, God arranged the members in the body, each one of them as he chose. If all were a single member, what would the body be? As it is, there are many parts yet one body, right? Yet one body. So I like that verse because, like I said, we all come together, we all have different strengths, we all have different weaknesses, right? And we have to build each other up and combine as we come together as one church and praise our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, right? Go back to that passage. I know it's kind of odd, but imagine a body with no body. I think of like Mr. Potato Head, right? But imagine a body with no body, and a nose connected to an arm, a foot connected to an ear, right? Those things just don't make sense. But, um, but we're connected together. Excuse me, here you go. Um, our unity is found not in each one of us being the same, okay? But our unity is found in our common relationship with Jesus Christ as our Lord, all right? I'm going to say that again. But our unity is found in our common relationship with Jesus Christ as our Lord. It's amazing that when we come together, all of our differences seem to dissipate, right? They seem to dissipate because under that single banner of Christ, we have true unity. It is with Christ as the head of the church. It allows our differences actually to work together and to make us stronger for God's glory. So that first strand is one Lord. We're united under one Lord, all right? The second strand or element is one faith, one faith. The one faith is more than believing a set of facts or a verbal, verbal affirmation. It's more than just believing a set of facts. I know when you think about the Bible, if you study the Bible, which I hope you study the Bible, but actually the history, not just what's in it, but the history of it, 
The fact that it was written over 1,500 to 1,600 years by 40 different people, yet it comes together to provide one uh, voice for us to study is absolutely amazing. I mean, there's no way man could put it together and make it flow like it comes together. There's just absolutely no way. But speaking through, but having God speak through them and him being the master author of this is what's truly amazing. So when we look at this passage, Paul writes, one Lord, one faith, one Lord, one faith. So you want to separate those things, but I want to like, he put those words there for a reason. One faith in one Lord is what unifies us. One faith in one Lord. Okay. Hebrews 11.1. 1. We're going to flip over to Hebrews 11.1. 1. Talks a little bit about faith. Now faith is the assurance of things hoped for. The conviction of things not seen. Right, so conviction can be a little bit of a tricky word. Right, so um, I opened up my parallel Bible. I thought about bringing it. That thing is big. Those, those parallel Bibles could be big. Right, but um, I was already carrying a rock and I didn't want to have another kid, you know, carrying something else. I already got in trouble for having, asking my kid to carry a rock into church. But, um, but conviction can be a tricky word. So I opened it up. The King James Version uses the evidence of things not seen. The NIV says certain of what we do not see. So if we read chapter or verse 11, chapter 11, verse 1 again, now faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction, the evidence, the certainty of things not seen. Right? When you look at those different things, it helps bring it a little bit better to light to help you understand that. So our faith in Christ as Lord can unify us in a way that keeps us safe from the attacks of Satan and the devil, right? When we come together um, and have this faith, faith is a powerful tool. Chapter 11 is all about faith, where we're at, right? So I'm going to highlight a few things in chapter 11, but feel free to scroll with me. right? So in 11.4, it says, By faith, Abel offered to God a more sacrifice to him. Verse 5, it says, By faith, Enoch was taken up so that he should not see death. Verse 7, by faith Noah, being warned by God, constructed an ark. Verse 8, by faith Abraham obeyed, not knowing where he was going. Verse 17, by faith Abraham offered up Isaac. Verse 20, by faith Isaac invoked future blessings. Verse 21, by faith Jacob, when dying, blessed the sons of Moses. The sons of Joseph, excuse me. And then verse 23, by faith Moses refused to be called the son of the Pharaoh's daughter. By faith he left Egypt. By faith he kept the Passover. Right? So Paul in this letter, he gives all of these um, examples of faith. And he's not done yet. And he's not done yet. In verse 32 it says, And what more shall I say, for time would fail me to tell of Gideon, Barak, Samson, Jephthah, and David, and Samuel, and the prophets, right? He kept going, he kept going, he kept going. The examples of faith throughout the Bible history, but throughout history in general, is simply amazing about what can God can do if you put your faith in Him. One of the strategies that I've read that people try to relate more to that I challenge you to do right now is to put your name right there. Put your name right there. By faith, Renee. By faith, Sean. By faith, Randy. By faith, Chris. What is God calling you to do in your heart and in your life? Right? By faith, what can you do? And what are you being called to do? Right? What great thing can you do, not for yourself, not for yourself, but what can you do for the sheer adoration and glory of Christ? When we are all focused on our one faith in Christ, all of our differences disappear, and thus we become perfected in one united body. So one Lord, one faith, and the last strand or key essential is one baptism. So if we go back to 1 Corinthians 12, we read in verse 14, but flipping back just one verse to 13, it says, For in one spirit we were all baptized into one body, Jews and Greeks, slaves are free, and all were made to drink of one spirit. Okay? Every believer is baptized into one spirit. 
It doesn't matter your background, your language, your skin color, your height, your eyes, your dress. None of that matters. We are brought together under one baptism into one spirit to, of God our creator and sustainer of life. So I often like to ask my kids to define things. Right? I didn't ask them this question this week because it was, well not all of them, but um, so what is baptism? We talked about that. What is baptism a little bit? And to summarize it, the best expression that uh, I found was actually in our study. It says, baptism is the outward expression of an inward reality. Right? Baptism is an outward expression of an inward reality. I like that, right? I like that. What's going on inside of us is like, well, do I really have to be baptized? You know, people are nervous. People are nervous about it. And yes, I know people don't like to come up and, and do that. But it's a public proclamation of that. Now, we have some um, spiritual birthdays coming up. Anybody ever heard that phrase before? Spiritual birthday? Yes, no, maybe. You awake? Can you sing another song? Yeah. All right. Spiritual birthdays, right? So November 4th last year, we had a good event. You know, we had our baptism ceremony, so we had some spiritual birthdays. Spiritual birthday is when you're baptized, right? And so as we start to raise our kids, I want to make sure that I remember that, not for cake and candles, but for as a parent, as a gut check, to ask where my kids are really at. Where are they growing? How are they growing? You know, you made this commitment, now what? You made this commitment, now what, right? But then that helps hold me a little bit accountable as well. So... Um, do you have a spiritual birthday? Think about it. Everybody has their own, has their own story. There are different walks, different paths. But think about, do you have your spiritual birthday where you've made that um, public proclamation as Jesus as a top priority in your life? All right, so those three strands, one Lord, one faith, one baptism. All those come together. And we think, oh, that's great. Thank you. It's a nice, happy place where we can just all come, have a great time. We love some Jesus. And then we go back home and watch the race. If you go watch the race, I don't mean that in a bad way. But then just go home and watch the race. Okay? But we're challenged to do more. This challenges us to do more. So you can't profess, and that goes back to our main passage today, and that's why I like this Galatians 5.25, because you can study in its own context. But to me, when I say, if we live by the Spirit, let us also keep in step with the Spirit, that's a challenge to me. That if I'm going to say I'm a Christian, I better act like it. Right? I better act like it. But we have to do certain things. Uh, once we realize that unity, we're still called to do things. So let, we're going to look at a few of those now. So um, actually, Brother Bruce has has one he's going to read for us. I think it's John 13, 34. Is that the one you have? Okay. John 13, 34. If you could read that for us. A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another. Just as I have loved you, you also are one another. Thank you. Very good. So this was a, a, a one another study that we did. One another. One another. What are we to do to one another? All right. So Bruce's was love. Love one another. All right. Um, Next is Romans 12.10. Morgan. Very good. So again, you repeat love. But then what was the last word you said? Honor, Honor one another. Honor one another. And one more. Romans 12.16. Heather, you yeah, have Right? So what are we to do there? Live in... Harmony with one another. So that's just three little ones that we looked at. So how are you doing with that? Are you loving everyone in here? Are you honoring everyone in here? Do you live in harmony with everyone in here? So we're not done yet. All right. Romans 15, 17. I have no doubt we do this one well. Welcome one another. We got that one down pretty good. We welcome one another. Galatians 5.13, we must serve one another. Ephesians 4.25, we must speak the truth to one another. Colossians 3.9 says we must not lie to one another. Right? And when uh, Pastor Wright was here last week, he commented how good the world would be if people just would tell the truth. How much better it would be, how much confusion would be less, how much, um, just how much smoother and 
If you could just trust people, how much better life would be? All right? Ephesians 4.32 says, Be kind to one another and forgive one another. 1 Thessalonians says we should encourage one another. 1 Thessalonians 5.11 says we should build one another up. 5.13 says be at peace with one another. James 5.16 says confess our sins, confess our sins, and pray for one another. 1 Peter 4.9 says show hospitality toward one another. Show hospitality toward one another. Right, so are you doing these things for this particular body of Christ? Some are, some aren't. I heard this week, as I was listening to some stuff on the ride, ride home, I can't remember, I think, it was, I, I think it was John MacArthur, but he said, you know, if, you're, if, you're folk, if you are challenged out in public, if you are challenged out in public by a non-believer, right, and you're with a new believer and you're challenged by them, you know, you can either support or go with the, um, the lost person or the unbeliever, okay? You can go with this person to try to show them that, yes, it's okay, and it's, I'm not really this strong. You know, you, you, let me see. Let me go back, because I want to make sure I get this for you. A lot of times we're out with, let's, let's, say, let's say Pastor Huff and I are out. All right, so we're out and about. I don't know where we're going. I don't know if I know where you're going, all right? But I'm not sure where, what event we're going out to, right? But me and him. So he, he's, he's a strong believer. He, he's a strong believer, right? And then I'm a young believer. And we go out. Bruce, I'm going to use you here. So Bruce is, Bruce is uh, he said, I, I, don't believe in, I don't believe in Christ. I don't want to hear none of that nonsense, right? I don't want to hear none of that, right? But the strategy a lot of times today is, all right, I'm going to give up a little bit here. Pastor Ruff, I'm going to give up a little bit here to make sure I can... Uh, reach Bruce. I want to reach Bruce. I'm going to sacrifice a little bit of what God says. I'm going to twist it a little bit so I can make, I can connect with Bruce. Because that connection is what's important. So I can make that quick connection with Bruce. But I give up. I fall off the Word of God. I fall off the Word of God. But is that what we should do versus support the young believer? We want to reach somebody new because we've already got this person. But it's actually more important to make sure we stand with the young believer, A, to support the young believer, but also show the non-believer how important it is to us to stand on the Word of God together. Okay? Does that make sense? Sorry, I had to go around a tree to get there. Right? There's a lot of trees in the pavement in, this, in West Virginia, by the way. I don't know if y'all knew that. But went around the tree to get there. Right? But it's so important that we do that for one another inside the church so that, that that will actually attract people into the church and attract them to where they're open to receiving the message of Christ. Okay? All right, so those are some of the core essentials, the three strands, right? And then what we're called to do and how we're supposed to treat each other. Now I want to make sure that we have to stay focused. All right, stay focused. So now turn with me um, over to Revelation chapter 2. Revelation chapter 2, we're going to look at the church of Ephesus, all right? Another good biblical strategy is whenever you don't know how to pronounce the word, the faster you say it, the more, the faster you say it, the better it sounds, so just go right through stuff, all right? You know, Ephesus is pretty simple, but there's much bigger words. All right, but the church in Ephesus, all right, chapter 2, verses 1 through 3 is where I'm going to read next. To the angel of the church in Ephesus write, the words of him who holds the seven stars in his right hand, who walks among the seven golden lampstands. I know your works, your toil, and your patient endurance, and how you cannot bear with those who are evil, but have tested those who call themselves apostles and are not, and found them to be false. I know you are enduring patiently and bearing up for my name's sake, and you have not grown weary." So the good point of this church of Ephesus is that they are standing strong on the doctrine of God's Word. They've been tested, but they have not faltered. Right? They have stayed there. Okay? And it is very obvious that this church is very active. Right? I know your works, your toil, and your endurance. Right? It's a very active church. 
So if you take this church, Ephesus, and you put it into um, what a church might look like today, Brian, you want to try that bulletin? See if it's too fuzzy? Okay. There is a, there's a bulletin here, a, a mock bulletin from the church of Ephesus about what it might look like. And this was one of the funniest things that we did in our study here, okay? But this mock bulletin, it says um, their mission in Ephesus is a happening church that's doing something, right? They're doing something. And so you can see the opportunities um, or the contact number for our minister of activities is 1-800-GET-HER-DONE, right? That's the, that's the contact information there. Now, there's going to be things in here that might trigger something that doesn't quite sound right. And there's going to be some things that, you know, maybe we should do a little bit more. But you see the welcome and prayer up there to the right. We'll work till Jesus comes. I'm going to sing a song here that says, I'm pressing on. A hymn that says, I'll do my best. Right? The sermon title is, Are You Doing Enough for Your Church? Anybody get a theme here? All right. Got the second half? All right, and then the bottom of the bulletin, notice those worship times over there. A couple of those. 7 o'clock, 9 o'clock, 10, 30, 11, 45, 7 o'clock at night. All right, they want to get that word out there. I like this comment to the right there. A number of their members have expressed a lack of sense of the presence of God in some of our recent services. Pray that those people will repent. And then they're going to start a 26-week Bible study on Saturday nights about how to get that fire going again. Not many people are too excited about a 26-week Bible study on Saturday nights. Right? But this is just a, it's a, a funny example right, of what the bulletin might look like at Ephesus where they're doing, they're doing, they're going. They're doing all these things. But the problem is in verse 4, Revelation 2 verse 4, but I have this against you, that you have abandoned the love you had at first. You have abandoned the love that you had at first. Remember, therefore, from where you have fallen, repent and do the works you did at first. If not, I will come to you and remove your lampstand from its place unless you repent. So many people would look at this church and think, hey, they're doing good. They're doing great. But they lost their purpose and mission, and they lost their love of Christ, right? Now, they're not a church that wanted that to happen. They probably didn't plan on that to happen. It just slowly happened, right? Because they slowly drift off of this rock, right? They slowly drift off of this rock. So two things, a point, two things to help them get back on track is to make sure that they um, become focused on the what and the who, or excuse me, no, sorry, let me get back. The problem for Ephesus was that they became so intent on what that they lost sight of who, right? They became so intent on what they were doing, they lost sight of Jesus and God for who they were doing, right? Matthew 5, 16 says, In the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. Everything that we, should do, everything that we do should bring glory to God, but does it? Everything that we do should bring glory to God. But does it? There's a lot of gut checks, a lot of gut checks in our house, right? There's a lot of, there's several kids running around that can pull those fuses real, to see how quick, how short they are, right? And I know they're watching. I just see how they go. There's plenty of people at the workplace that want to test our fuses, Right? But everything we do has to bring glory to God. I caught myself earlier this week saying that I had to prepare this message. I had to prepare this message. Now, I made a commitment that I would prepare this message. But I caught myself when I said, I had to prepare this message. I want to prepare this message. I want to prepare this message. But there's a list of things, there's a list of responsibilities that the world puts on us, but you have to realize where to rank those priorities, right? So I had to change that mindset. Um, 
Pastor Huff has shared his thoughts and strategies on starting new ministries, right? You know, he shared with us openly that, hey, if you say, hey, I think we should, I'm making this up if there's any carpenters in here, but hey, I think we should start a painting ministry, Pastor Huff. Pastor Huff, why don't you start that up, right? Pastor Huff's not going to start no painting ministry. A, because you ask him and you put it on him, but it's something you thought might be good. Or somebody comes up and says, hey, we should start XYZ ministry called Church of the Brethren. I hear it's doing pretty good over there, right? But we're doing it just to do it. We're not doing it to bring glory to God, right? I think that's a great filter for how we start those ministries um, here at the church. So, um, oh, excuse me, but I did want to say, I did want to take the opportunity to say thank you for the Fishers of Men ministry, right? That we, we lay some groundwork for that, and it takes a passion of mine, but it does allow us to reach out to different people. So I do want to say thank you for that support to the church. But each one of us, each one of us, whether it's fishing, arts, crafts, management, anything, has a gift that will allow us to reach other people. You can reach people that I can never reach. I can reach people that you may never be able to reach. Right? Just with relationships, with talents, with um, who, how you interact with people, you might be that person that brings people to Christ. So, that's my challenge to you, is to find out what... That, back to that by faith statement. By faith, what can I start? To reach people. But again, not what can I start. What has God placed on my heart that I can do to make sure that I bring glory to Him? We can't fall into this. We can't fall into this at all. Well, I have to go to Bible study on Wednesday night. We've got choir practice on Thursday night. Thank goodness I get Friday night off because Saturday night we start that 36-week Bible program, 36-week Bible study program. Oh, we got communion on Monday, uh, Sunday morning, so I got to get to church 15 minutes early to make sure I get the the bread set out, and the wine set out. i got to make sure I get all that stuff done. How many times did I say I there? Too many, right? You can't fall into that trap. I'm dramatizing that, but it's happened. I've seen it happen in my family and my extended family, right? So we have to make sure that all that we do brings glory to God. We have to maintain that first love Christ relationship. He should be our first love God calls on us to love Him with our whole hearts, right? And to worship no other God before Him. All right, so we have to stay focused. All right? Then the next thing, we cannot be pretenders of our faith. Pastor Huff hinted at that earlier. I think he read my notes too good. He hinted at that earlier, the pretender of our faith. So the church of Sardis. That was a, a failing of the church of Sardis. So let's turn over just one more page in Revelation chapter 3. Verses 1 through 6. Revelation chapter 3, 1 through 6. All right, it reads, And to the angel of the church in Sardis write, The words of him who has the seven spirits of God and seven stars. Here we go. I know your works. You have the reputation of being alive, but you are dead. Wake up and strengthen what remains and is about to die, for I have not found your works complete in the sight of my God. Remember then what you received and heard. Keep it and repent. If you will not wake up, I will come like a thief, and you will not know at what hour I will come against you. Yet you have still a few names in Sardis, people who have not soiled their garments, and they will walk with me in white, for they are worthy. The one who conquers will be clothed in white garments, and I will never blot his name out of the book of life. I will confess his name before my Father and before his angels." He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Okay? That is the, that is the church of Sardis. Okay? We went from this church of Ephesus, and now we're at this church of Sardis. Okay? So they have the reputation of being alive, but they are actually dead. So they are a church filled of pretenders. A church of pretenders. There's no genuine, there's no genuine action there. There's no genuine feeling there. Right? They have that philosophy, fake it till you... Fake it till you, fake it till you make it. That's not how I want to live. It's not how I want to live. But this is, the, this is what they, how, how they were. They were full of pretenders. They had that appearance of a vibrant church, but it was, and it was dead. 
on the inside. It was dead on the inside. So just like the church of Ephesus, they didn't just decide, hey, I'm a dead church. They didn't just decide that one day. They were going about, they lost their focus because they failed to stand on the rock of Jesus Christ. At one point, they just they, they slowly slipped to the point they got consumed by sin um, in the culture, right? Now, it doesn't list what their sins were. It just says they were sinful people, just like we are sinful people. They let the culture influence the church instead of the church influencing the culture. Right. Praise, but <laughs> yet it's hard to not let us. What sin culture today you can find anything on the Internet? So, a Christianity Today article entitled, Ten Sins That We Now Take Less Seriously. So this, this title caught my eye because it says, Sin we now take less seriously. So I already thought, okay, so now that rock is starting to slide. Getting to sin, taking these sins lessly. So um, my daughter asked me this morning what she want to wear, and I said I'm going to wear my steel toe because we're going to talk about ten sins. If I step on your toes, I just encourage you to study God's word a little bit more. The first sin that we less seriously than we did, so this is about four years old, this article. is The lottery. The Bible doesn't say anything um, about gambling, but it ducked us to our money. Right? Where Paul talks about allowing unwholesome talk. I wouldn't want to be that rotor from so be on that thing. Games, TV show full of content, content pre-relations, inappropriate jokes, idolatry. You think I would be your alcohol? to stop. John MacArthur asked last week, he all the time, he said, he wanted to be the reason he said, well, John MacArthur, I'm going to take a drink. And then they control. And then their life's out of control. He never would be that point of influence. So do you really know when to stop? Number eight is glutton. Our culture turns food something an art form and idol. I got to agree with that one. An art form and an idol. My daughters love to watch the cooking show. Right? But our culture has turned somewhere between an art form and an if I hadn't stepped on your toe yet, I know this one will. Caffeine. We take, we take this less seriously. Right? I said, study it, study it. Right? But I'm going to say why it relates to it. Right? But you, you're your own person and how you control it. But caffeine addiction. Addiction is a vice. Which means, are you in control of yourself or not? See Dan? Right? And then number 10 was greed. A total buy-in to our consumer culture. Right? Got to have it, got to have it, got to have it. We think that's what we just, that's just the way we are now. We've got to have it. No, you don't have to have it. We were going um, out to the uh, run yesterday up in Shepherdstown, and we went past a yard sale, and um, Daniel said, Oh, Dad, 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 there was a bass tracker on sale back there. You missed it. Bass boat. Little old bass tracker. I said, Oh, really? I want to turn around real bad. And trust me, I thought about it for the next hour and a half because I could choose to go back that way or I could go home a straight way. I went home a straight way. I won that little battle. But, right, we have to have it. We have to have it. We have to have it. Right? So, if we say we're a Christian, these sins are starting to creep and eat away. So if we live by the Spirit, let us also keep in step with the Spirit. If we talk it, we have to walk it because no one likes a hypocrite. If I ask you if you're a hypocrite, would you raise your hand? All right, that's a hard word. That sounds like a mean word, doesn't it? Hypocrite. Sounds like such a mean word. A hypocrite's a person that does not act in accordance to the principles that he or she claims to believe. And this church, Sardis, was a church full of hypocrites. They were just pretending to live out their faith. How many times have you spoke with somebody about, hey, church? They say, oh, I just, it's a bunch of hypocrites. I don't go to church. I've heard that one. And my mother-in-law told me that one. Right? I won't go to church. Why well, don't I go to church with a bunch of hypocrites? But think about it. If those, some of those sins consume your life, but yet you claim to be a Christian, you're a hypocrite. I'm a hypocrite. It's hard. But we have to learn from these churches to not be a pretender. They were definitely dead on the inside. I'm hoping and praying that none of us are dead on the inside. 
You know how much money we spend a year in the funeral industry? Pretty amazing, actually. So we spend money on flowers, coffins, and the best work morticians and beauticians can accomplish. Jeannie was tell us a few stories. I was like, stop, 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 stop. Okay. My grandmother as well, and she asked me to go one time. like, no, 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 no. Don't want to go to the funeral home after that. But it is an awesome service uh, for the families, right? But we spend that money on that, and the average cost today is between 8000 and 10000 The U.S. funeral industry accounts for about $20 billion in economic activity. Is dead. Nothing done, no matter how good that body may look, dead is dead. We cannot be like the church at Sardis, where we appear alive on the outside, on the inside, we're dead. There is no love, there is no compassion. There's no compassion for the lost, and there's no purpose in our lives. We can't be that church. Okay? So in Revelation 3, go back to me to verse 5. It says, um, The one who conquers will be clothed thus in white garments, and I will never blot out his name from the book of life. All right? And then it says, I will confess his name before my father and before his angels. All right? I will confess... His name before who? Who there? Father. So in your life, whose opinion of what you're doing matters the most? God. Does it matter what your neighbor thinks? Does it matter what your best friend at work thinks? The most important person that you should be worried about now is, of course, your life. It's, of course, important now, but it's also important for eternity. Right? It's also important for eternity. He knows, <laughs> he knows how alive you are inside. Right? And he also knows how to get us to come. I'm going to talk about that just in a second. But we can decorate all we want of our lives, but without a living relationship with Christ, all we have is a very, very beautiful grave. All right, the final church we're going to look at today is the church of Laodicea. All right, this church was an apathetic church, all right? We said that word before up here, apathetic church, meaning they just had no care, they had no passion about anything that they were doing. Now, the apathetic church or the apathetic Christian is actually an oxymoron. He read my notes too well, but he set it up. Oxymoron, right? Women's meetings, not exactly an oxymoron, all right? An extensive thing of what it was. A minor miracle, half head, and Mac fan, you like this one. Few people will get that one, right? Oxymoron, Microsoft works. All right? But then an uh, um, oxymoronic phrase, right? If there's one thing I can't stand, it's intolerance. Right? I get that? You got two opposing things? Or some people say I'm super, superficial, but that's just on the surface. Right? So make sure everybody's got the good understanding of what oxymoron is, right? You got two opposing different things that are put together, right? So apathetic Christian should never go together. It should absolutely never go together. But this is what the church is struggling with. So let's look at it briefly here in Revelation 3, verses 14 through 17. And to the angel of the church in Laodicea write, the words of the Amen, the faithful and the true witness, the beginning of God's creation. Verse 15. I know your works. You are neither cold nor hot. Would that you either be cold or hot. So because you are lukewarm and neither hot nor cold, I will spit you out of my mouth. For you say, I am rich, I have prospered, and I need nothing, not realizing that you are wretched, pitiable, poor, blind, and naked. Right. So that's the church of Laodicea. Right. So when you first look at this church, this church feels they have everything they need. This church feels they have everything they need, right? Because it says right there, um, the church, when it says, for you say in verse 17, that's the church. The church says I'm rich. The church says I've prospered. The church says I need nothing else. But they were missing the whole point. Now, the Bible, the Bible does not say there's anything wrong with wealth. And I'm going to use this from Nancy because this was, this was so funny to me. Um, we were going over the Bible say, I asked that question, is there anything wrong with being a wealthy Christian? Nancy says, I never know. I never had that much money. <laughs> I wouldn't know how to answer that question. If there's anything wrong with being a wealthy Christian. Right? But in our study, right, it says that Jesus' problem was not with the size of their bank account, but rather the size of their heart and vision for others. 
So all cases, though, just like this church, they're lost. Not all hope is lost when God is involved. If we as a church are like Laodicea, or you as a person realize you may be apathetic to those who are around you, you have two things to do. The first is to focus on what matters to God. Focus on what, what matters to God. Matthew 6.33 states, But seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. What are you seeking first? When we seek God first, we are walking more in line with the Spirit. When we seek God first, we are showing the fruits of the Spirit. When we seek God first, we desire to know Him better. When we know Him better, we want to please Him more. So as we get more involved and study the Word of God, we understand what He wants and what is important to Him. So unlike the prosperity gospel of our current day, God doesn't promise land, houses, cars, but He does ensure us. He does ensure us that we will have what we need to serve Him. So we have to focus on that, and we also have to focus on who matters to God. So what is important to God, and who is important to God? Scripture tells us who is important to God. Sure, every answer is everyone. That's the short answer, right? But specifically, in Matthew 25, 31 through 46, the Bible instructs us to care for the hungry, the thirsty, strangers, the sick, and the imprisoned. Have you cared for any of those in the last day? The last week? The last month? This one's for me. Colossians 3, 12 through 13. The Bible instructs us um, that those who have had complaints against us, God cares about those as well. It says, Put on then, as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience, bearing with one another. And if one has a complaint against another, forgive each other, as the Lord has forgiven you. So you almost must forgive. Also must forgive. So you mean that the guy that just said he was going to kill me, God loves that guy? You mean to tell the guy that just cussed me out before he walked out of the office, God loves that guy? Yes. Yes, he does. I got to forgive that guy? What? It says it right here. I have to. Right? If I want to be forgiven, then I must forgive. James 2, 1 through 8, the Bible instructs us not to show favoritism to those who dress in fancy clothes over the one in shabby clothes. Or in this story, the rich man over the poor man. So the term apathetic Christian is an oxymoron. We should never be an apathetic church or we become like the church in Laodicea. We have to focus on what matters to God and who matters to God. Right? Brian, you got that clip? All right, let's watch this clip here. Well, it's a wonderful movie. If you've got it and you haven't watched it in a while, you need to watch War Room. It's a wonderful movie. And... Um, Right, but Jesus offered the church to Laodicea here these sho those same shocking words, right? Now, Ms. Clara brought that down to relatable one-on-one -on -one terms, but as we studied it, those words were very shocking to the church, right? In Revelation 3, 15, 16, it says, I know your works, you are neither cold nor hot. I wish that you were either cold or hot, but because you are lukewarm, neither hot nor cold, I will spit you out of my mouth. I will spit you out of my mouth. So Jesus is so disgusted by the spiritual condition of the church, he wanted to spit them out of his mouth. Other versions say spew. To think that my actions would so upset Jesus Christ just shakes me. It saddens my heart, and I hope that it saddens yours. Because I have no, I have zero desire for Jesus to spit me out of His mouth. So what are we to do? What are we to do? I'm going to stay right here in Revelation chapter three, verse eighteen. 
verse 18. I counsel you to buy me, buy from me gold refined by fire so that you may be rich. So I counsel you there. So Jesus is saying, come to me. I want you to buy three things from me. Just so you know, Jesus is the only one that can sell these three things, by the way. When I, hear, when I read, to buy from me gold refined by fire so that you may be rich. Through our lives, we go through the process of sanctification. We go through battles. We go through struggles. Bruce, he pulled out the other night a study about being refined by fire. We are going through trials and temptations. And as we go through those, we make tough decisions to either follow the world or follow Christ. And we choose to follow Christ, we are coming refined. And we may not become rich by the world's standards, but we become rich by Christ's standards. That's the first thing. The second thing is you need to purchase white garments so that you may clothe yourself and the shame of your nakedness may not be seen. So we have to purchase a white garment. How do you purchase that white garment? You repent. Repent is not a noun. It is a verb. Repent requires action. For you to say you truly repented and the next day you do the same thing, you didn't truly repent. Because you know that it makes God want to spit you out of His mouth. So you have that desire to change. And then the last thing that we need to do is to purchase the salve to anoint your eyes so that you may see. Purchase the salve that you may see. Actually, keep this. Right? So many times we talk about the outlook of life. It looks gloom and doom for us. But what lens are you looking through? Are you looking through the biblical lens or are you looking through the worldview? Right? What lens are you looking for? Jesus is saying right here, he has the salve to anoint your eyes and to open them so that you can see the world the way God wants you to see it. And when you buy those three things, it says, Those whom I love I reprove and discipline, so be zealous and repent. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door... I will come in to him and eat with him. He's knocking. He's knocking. Today we talked about the church and what the church needs to do to come back and what we need to do for each other. But man, he's knocking every day. I hope he's already in there. Eating with you. I hope so. Let's stand. Let's stand.